This evening I'd like to turn you to Psalm 13. I'm going to look at the entire psalm. It's dedicated to the chief musician. It's described as a psalm of David. Six verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we thank you for your holy and infallible word. We thank you for the sufficiency of scripture because it equips your people to live in this world, to serve you faithfully all our days. Lord, come by your Spirit and be our teacher now this night, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we turn to the end of our Bible, the last couple of chapters in the book of Revelation, we read some wonderful words. When John sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, he hears a loud voice, and the loud voice proclaims, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And then verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. There is the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The promise when God will make all things new. No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. It's a glorious prospect. It's our joyful anticipation. But life is not like that here in this present age. There are still many tears, death, Sorrows, crying, pain. We sorrow, but we do not sorrow like the world. But it is a foolish man or woman professes to be a Christian and says, I don't face any problems. I don't have any troubles. It's just not real, is it? It's not biblical. David knew that. Psalm reflects 
Psalm 13 reflects on that reality. The present trials, tears, weariness, sorrows, difficulties that we face in this life. David is afflicted. He is in deep distress. He even reaches the point where he wonders if God has actually forsaken him. Maybe you've reached that point at some point in your life. He cries out in verse 1, Will you forget me forever? That's the depth of his anguish. And yet we will see that this man, as we saw in Psalm 119, as we read that this morning and again this evening, he will not let go of God and God's promises. Whatever happens to him, even if for a long time, and we don't know how long it was for David, but his first cry is, how long, O Lord? This has been going on a long time, many months perhaps years distressing circumstances and events weigh us down and our almost unavoidable reactions to say well maybe God has forgotten us yet the very fact that we have this psalm and he is crying out to God tells us a great deal about this man now there are three things we want to look at this evening from this psalm it divides up very conveniently verses 1 and 2 his heartfelt lament then verses 3 and 4 his earnest cry to God and then verses 5 and 6 his joyful trust in God Let's first of all, and spend a quite a bit of time looking at his heartfelt lament in verses 1 and 2. Now, to lament is to grieve. It's something that is prominent in the Bible. To lament is to pour out your sorrows to God. Four times in the first two verses, David asks, How long? How long? When am I going to see an end to all this grief and sorrow and anguish of soul and perhaps body? He can see no light at the end of the tunnel. It looks very dark to him. And he's crying out a heartfelt lament. Say, it's if, as if God has forgotten him. How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? It's unrelenting, day by day. And he cries out to God. Maybe this psalm was composed when Saul was persecuting him and sought to prevail against him. I read through Second Samuel. I thought, how many times did Saul try to kill David? 
And I reckon there were at least 10 separate occasions. But Saul spent all the remaining days of his life seeking David out, seeking to destroy him. You may remember at one point, David fled from Judah and went over to the enemy, saying, I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. That's how desperate he was. Now, we don't know that that was the occasion, but it seems to me a very likely uh, cause of this psalm. But David is perplexed. David feels in trouble. This rises up from his heart. He is crying out to God. It's as if God, God's face is hidden from him. He's not able to enjoy God's favour, God's presence, perhaps even the knowledge of God's love. He's doubting. He's doubting. He has to take counsel in his own soul. That's what he says in verse 2. Daily sorrow, inner turmoil, grappling with these dark thoughts. But again, his cry is to God. He's lamenting. He's pouring out his heart to God. Now, you may not have the same experience in terms of the depth of the distress of this man, David. Prolonged pain and anguish. But these things are not a million miles removed from our experience, are they? Your sorrows may last a few days, even a few hours. They may last months. They may last for the rest of your life. But they're not far removed from us. There are 101 things that happen to believers in this life. It's a fallen world. And these things bring us low. And these things sometimes make us ask questions about God's dealings with us. We may feel that God has forgotten us. We may feel that God has withdrawn his smile and favor upon us. And the devil will not be slow to remind you of those things and to suggest those things to you. You can't trust him. If you're down, he'll hit you while you're down. He's vicious. He's malicious. But I think there is a pointed application from these opening words and this heartfelt cry of the servant of God, David. I want to make a pointed application of these verses to you. What is your story of pain and sorrow? How do you react to such experiences? How do you respond to death? Shed tears? Remember Jacob. The very thought, the very thought that he might lose his beloved Benjamin, he said to his sons, I'm overwhelmed with the thought of losing Benjamin. My sorrow 
will bring me down to the grave. And he was speaking what he felt. It was a lament. Death comes as an intruder into our lives. It's an invader. It is the wages of sin. It is an evil. We should feel a measure of righteous anger and indignation at death. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. Why? Because he was angry at what death had done in causing the death of Lazarus. That was certainly one of the reasons why he wept. It was his lament. It may be the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, John 10, 35. But it tells us a deep anguish in his soul. But there are a multitude of conditions and sorrows that face Christians. And I'm not even thinking now of those who are persecuted for their faith. There are thousands of Christians who face death every day simply because they are Christians living in a hostile world. Some of you carry chronic health conditions. Some of you carry disabilities. Some of you have sad memories, perhaps, of a stillbirth. Or you've not been able to bear children. There may be financial problems. Dashed your hopes and created problems for you, for your family. Maybe stress in a marriage relationship. Broken trust. You may be a widow. And that has its own peculiar griefs and sorrows. Children can sometimes bring you sorrow. As they grow up, they show signs of antagonism and rebellion. It's not what you expected. It's certainly not what you prayed for. But they become a disappointment. If I began to talk at any length about problems in the Church of Jesus Christ... Disagreements, strife, parting of the ways. This is the church of Christ, and yet when it happens, it brings sorrow and distress. There are cases in dis of discipline that have to be carried out. No one delights in those things. I recently spent a month in America, in Seattle, and the last Sunday, the church had to be called together to discipline a man who was not fulfilling his obligations as a husband and had turned his back upon his wife and refused to acknowledge it. Well, don't think for one moment that didn't cause anguish on all sides. Sometimes there is, in the scripture, a communal lament. The whole church is grieved by something that has happened. And then... Of course, there are problems in our own lives. Remaining sin is our greatest problem. And sometimes we get to the point where we feel we're going downhill, we're lukewarm, we're cold. 
We battle with those sins that remain and they get on top of us. And we just feel as if there's no point in going on. Am I speaking the truth? Am I painting a picture that is false? I don't think so. I've lived long enough myself to have gone through some of these things. And I've been a pastor long enough to help other people, draw alongside other people who've gone through these and other things. What I'm asking is, in all these changing events and circumstances that affect you, have you learned what I call the grace of lamenting? The grace of lament. Have you given voice to your fears and your troubles and your sorrows and your grief? Have you turned your heart to sing a sad song of lament? Remember Jeremiah? We have a whole book, don't we? Lamentations. He sorrowed over the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the people of God. They're being taken off into exile. Psalm 13 is a lament. And laments are comparatively rare in our hymn books. They're comparatively rare in contemporary songs that are sometimes sung in churches. And yet if you go through the book of Psalms, you will find no less than one-third of the Psalms are laments. This is one of them. Some are communal, corporate laments. Some, like this psalm, are individual laments. We mentioned Jeremiah. What about Job? Job's record is one of sorrow and distress. You see, we can react in the wrong kind of way to these kinds of things. Are you familiar with the word stoicism? What a stoic is? Someone who has no feeling. Someone who has no passion. What we call in, in England anyway, a stiff upper lip. You grit your teeth and you just get on with life. You try to blot out these things as if they don't happen. That is no way to cope with these things. I think there is a kind of Christian fatalism. Well, it is the Lord's will. Yes, it is the Lord's will. But the way that that is said, well, it's the Lord's will. There's nothing we can do about it. We just accept it. God works all things for good. Well, that's a Bible text. But we can say it in a kind of way that just says, well, that's the way it is. That's the end of the matter. And we reluctantly then resign ourselves to the situation. The other extreme, some of you may have come from that kind of background, the other extreme is to say, well, Christians live victoriously every day. You just rise above these things. That's not real either. 
That's crushing. That's destructive. Stoicism, or if you like, a kind of Christian fatalism that I just described, is a wrong response. It is not lamenting. The Bible way of dealing with sorrow and griefs and troubles that come is to lament before God, to pour out your heart to God. That's what David is doing here. You see, if you don't do that, if you stifle genuine grief and sorrow and distress, you are suppressing your God-given humanity. You have feelings. Jesus had feelings. We've already mentioned at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. He wept over Jerusalem because of their lack of repentance and their refusal to receive him. If we do not lament and we just say, well, that's the way it is, what does it do? It's disastrous. I tell you why. Because it opens the door to frustration, to anger, to bitterness, to resentment, to complaining about God. We're not expected to suffer in silence. And to turn our griefs and sorrows inward on ourselves. It is not unchristlike. It is not inhuman to shed tears. Tears because of our griefs and sorrows. Isn't that what these opening verses are teaching us? The rest of the psalm. To lament is how Christians grieve as they face the trials and difficulties and sorrows of this world. It's a heartfelt honesty before God. Have you ever cried out, Lord? Have you you turned your face away from me? How long, Lord, is this going to go on for? Learn to bring your sorrows to God and to weep. To weep. Tell him how you feel. That's what David did. He didn't suppress what he felt. He told God how he felt. And if he did it, you can too. It's biblical. (laughs) It's biblical to grieve. Learning to grieve before God is, I would suggest from this psalm alone, is the first step in learning to trust in God. Say the alternative is frustration, despair, and almost abandoning God and complaining about him and the way he deals with us, murmuring against him, distrusting him. It's the first step to grieve and to pour out your heart to God. That is David's heartfelt lament. But there is progress in this psalm. He doesn't stop there. This is the beginning. This is the first step. The second step we see is his earnest cry to God. No longer how long... But he's moved on and he is now praying in verse 3 and 4. Consider and hear me. 
O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes as I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. This, I would suggest, is the turning point of the psalm. This is the hinge on which the whole psalm turns. He is crying out to God now for help. He's not merely saying, how long, Lord? But he's turning to God and saying, Lord, I'm crying out to you. Despite my feelings of abandonment, you are my God. He addresses him. Oh, Lord, my God, there in verse 3. The fact that he's undergone all these pains has not extinguished the fact that God is his God and can turn to him. This is the Lord, the faithful, promise-making, promise-keeping God. But it is a deliberate and an earnest plea. He's, if he is saying, pleading with God, don't ignore me anymore, Lord. Hear me, hear my cry. Consider and hear. Look and give ear. Does that sound pretty desperate to you? Does that sound earnest to you? Well, that's David. That's how we should be in the midst of our sorrows and griefs. We cry out earnestly to God. This man was bold. He grasped the nettle, as we say. He's intent on God hearing him. Doesn't come half-heartedly. He's bold. He addresses God earnestly. What would you do if you had no God to turn to? What a desperate situation that is. And yet there are thousands who don't know what to do when they're faced with troubles and difficulties. Is it any wonder that some people end up taking their own life? There's no one who can help them. That's how they feel in their hour of distress and despair. But this God is your God. And he is for you. And he will hear your earnest cry and your prayer. This is what I would call a hot prayer. There's fire in it. It comes, as it were, from his belly. He is passionate. He is earnest. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, this God is not your God. He can become your God the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Having said that, I know of people who have cried out, not as believers at that point, but they've cried out, Lord, if you are there, then come to my aid. And because God is a merciful God, he's sometimes pleased to answer that cry. Others feel, oh, God has just been harsh in the way he's dealt with me. If God really loved me, then these sorts of things wouldn't happen to me. 
Where is love and mercy? But David is different. David prays, Lord, do not hide your face from me. Instead, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Make my eyes shine. If you'd looked at David, you might have said, he's wasting away. Look at his face. He's wasting away. And he's saying, my eyes are dull. I'm sad in my heart. But he's saying to the Lord, make my eyes now shine. You can tell a lot of things about a person by looking at their face and looking particularly at their eyes. You remember Hannah? Hannah was in great distress of soul. She went up to Shiloh. There was Eli the priest. She went every year with her husband. She was childless and she was being provoked by Elkanah's other wife who was producing children on a regular basis and then was pouring scorn on poor Hannah. What did she do? She poured out her grief and her sorrow to God. She, we are told in 1 Samuel chapter 1, she was in bitterness of soul. No words came out of her mouth. Her lips moved and Eli thought she was drunk and dismissed her. There was no voice, but she was crying out to God in her distress. You could see it on her face. You see it in her eyes. But we read in verse 4, Lest my enemies say, I prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. They look at him in this state and they judge him and condemn him. Enlighten my eyes. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. If my face lights up, if my eyes are no longer dull but sparkling, then my enemy will not be able to gloat and triumph over me. He will take a look at me and say, well, this isn't the man who's been overwhelmed by troubles. He's a different man. You see, in their malice, they rejoiced over him and his troubles. He was shaken and tottering like a tree ready to fall to the ground. But he made his earnest cry to the Lord his God. The wonderful thing about God is he's not hard of hearing. If you've spoken to me for any length of time, you know how hard of hearing I am. And it's not getting any better. I don't always pick up things. But God isn't like that. God's ears lie very close to a believer's lips. And if he heard the cries of Hannah and she didn't even utter any words, he knew her heart. And God's ear hears and sees and his eyes see the hearts of his people. David believed that. That's why he cried out to God.
You may sometimes wonder whether God hears you. But what is God like? He's a God who bends his ear to hear the earnest cries of his people. And then thirdly, we see the outcome. There it is in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here is his joyful trust in God. He's made his lament, a heartfelt lament. He's earnestly cried to God and now there is his joyful trust in God. And he would never have reached this point had he given way to his griefs and sorrows and turned the whole thing in on himself and became bitter, angry, resentful, resigned himself to stoical silence. This would never have been the outcome. He has to go through that process. And you must sometimes go through the similar process of lamenting. That is the key. How you respond to the sorrows and troubles and trials that come. If you truly lament and then you cry out to God, then you end up trusting in God. That's the pattern. That's the process. That's the progress that is here in this psalm. A joyful trust. I for my part. That's the essence of what he's saying here. I for my part have trusted in your mercy. In your pity. You've seen my distress. You've not turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to me. You've reached down to me and come to my aid. It's because of your steadfast love your covenant mercy and your faithfulness. That is the kind of God you are trusting in. That is the kind of God who shows his mercy. I've trusted. I've confided. I have cast myself upon you and you've not let me down and disappointed me. The changes and the circumstances of your life they affect you. It is inevitable. They cannot not affect you, if you're honest. However gloomy the day, however strange your trials, however long and distressing the situation, trust in God. That's what David did as he worked through this situation. You cannot rely too simply upon God. Let me read you. Some of you are familiar with this uh, Believer's Daily Remembrance by James Smith. He was a predecessor of Spurgeon in the Tabernacle. Well, not the Tabernacle, New Park Street, to be historically correct. But he said this. If you want to look it up, you've got the book. It's June the 11th. The Lord is my portion. This is his comment. 
He is suitable, sufficient, and immutable portion, an unchangeable portion. We are to live upon him, draw from him, rejoice in him, and to look for him for all we need. His power is ours to support us, his wisdom to guide us, his love to comfort us, his mercy to relieve us, his goodness to supply us, his justice to defend us, his covenant to secure us, and his heaven to receive us. That's your God, my God. That's David's God. This is the one who shows mercy when David trusted in him. You can never expect then too much from God. He will not leave you disappointed and ashamed. God is always true to his word. He is always faithful. He will lead you through trouble after trouble after trouble and bring you out at the end, not singing a song of lament, but a song of joy in his salvation and deliverance. What a day it will be when Jesus Christ returns. We shall be delivered from all our troubles. What we read right at the very beginning in Revelation 21 is absolutely true. There is a day coming when there will be no more tears. Throw that thing away. No more tears to be wiped away. No more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. Oh, then you will sing. I will sing. We will all sing. Because God has fulfilled his word and dealt bountifully with us. But now, we may go through a period of sorrow and trial, and we may come through that singing that God has dealt bountifully with us. And then, a year or two later, we're back in the same position, almost again. A further trouble, a further distress has come upon us. A few psalms further on. Psalm 22. That's a lament that was found upon the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season... And I'm not silent. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ was not unacquainted with deep distress and sorrow. And he is our faithful high priest. He's acquainted. Acquainted with grief and sorrow. He has undergone sorrows and griefs the like of which we will never face. And he's done it for us. He's done it for us. The same one who cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some hours later cried out, it is finished. It is finished. And he entrusted himself into the hands of his father, who then vindicated him on the third day he raised him from the dead. 
in Christ, God has given us everything that we need. Never be separated from Christ. Whatever happens to you in this life, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. This is absolutely certain. It's interesting here in Psalm 13. When it says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's in the past tense. And there's a reason for that because it's absolutely certain. It's as if it's already happened. The Bible sometimes puts things in that sense. Romans chapter 8 talks of being justified, being called, being justified. And then it talks about being glorified. And it's in the past tense. But we were waiting our glorification. It's the same thing here. It's certain, absolutely certain. It's done. It's as good as done. That God will bring you through all these trials and difficulties and fill your heart with joy and gladness in his salvation. Is there then no place for despair? For dismay? Despair and dismay are not the same as grief and lamenting over your grief. Despair and dismay are when you give up. You throw up your hands and say, that's it, I'm done, I'm finished. That's not where David ends. David ends on a song of joy. He's dealt bountifully with me. That is the testimony of God's people. The bountiful goodness of God. David is sure that his faith in God is not misplaced. It makes him sure he will not give up on God. Am I describing something that you know in your own experience? Have you proven God in this way? Have you lamented over the things that cause you grief and sorrow? Have you poured out your heart then to God? And have you ended in a joyful trust, much stronger than you ever were before? That's the history of this psalm. That's the story of this psalm. That's the lesson of this psalm. Well, may we be able to say, through the midst of all we go through in this life, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt with bountifully with me. Amen.